Our scripture this morning comes from Acts of the Apostles, uh, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, Do you understand what you are reading? He replied, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Who is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both, both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down in the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more but, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found him himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news of God to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. Amen. So... There are few occasions, sorry, I'm going to trip over the, I had a whole bunch of a fall, nearly falling over issues first service. We are not, we're not taking any risks today. My mic died and my shoe was untied all at the same time. I was an absolute mess. So now I'm suspicious of all the objects around me. Anyways, there are a few times in my life, both as a Christian um, and in as my life uh, with Sydney, uh, where I have been more frustrated, and perhaps she has been more frustrated with me, uh, than when a street preacher arrived um, on our college campus very early in our relationship. And I, and I know I've, some of y'all have heard me tell this story before, but it is a moment that really stands out to me as something that just, I've seldom been so frustrated with a fellow Christian as I was with this street preacher. He came and did the usual street preacher shtick of, you know, let us yell turn or burn at college students while they're trying to go to class and see what that's going to accomplish. Not much. And so I was already kind of frustrated this guy. This was not his first visit to campus. And so I decided in my infinite wisdom that I was going to stand exactly opposite him um, on, the, on the road he was on. And I was going to yell things as well at the same time. But I was going to yell Bible verses about how much God loved us as he yelled about all the great lines of the prophets about hell and damnation. Um, and so that we would be this like cacophony of different things and thus hopefully cancel out the real like negative angry picture of God that he was putting out in the world. 
Well, I definitely got under his skin, which was my job, which was what I decided was my job in that moment. And he yelled back at me something that is, I have never forgotten, frustrates me to this day. No one ever came to Jesus through a relationship with somebody. Yes, they did! Yes, they did! That's what happens right here in Acts chapter 8. Yes, they definitely did. You incorrect person. I had other words. No one ever came to Jesus through a relation. No such thing as relational salvation. A, salvation is 100% relational. It is your relationship with God, okay? Two, Often in the Bible, this thing we're supposed to love and follow, people come to Jesus through a relationship. How did the disciples come to know Jesus? They walked with him and talked with him and witnessed what he did. How does the Ethiopian, do we, is it, is Philip yelling at the Ethiopian eunuch from outside the chariot? No, he would have never been invited into the chariot. But other reason that like, there is the like, I have read the Bible, therefore I know this is wrong, answer. But the other reason why I got so frustrated with this street preacher and what he was yelling was I knew what was happening in my own life, in my own faith life at that time. See, this happened right around when I turned 20. And I know this because the difference between me at 19 and the difference between me at 20 was more than a few months had elapsed. That kind of that line is a real line of demarcation in my life. When I was 20 is when Sydney and I got together. Uh, when I was 20 is when I accepted my call to ministry. When I was 20 is when I you know, started taking seriously, as I was about to turn 20 rather, is when I started taking seriously that God had something for me in my life. That my job as a Christian was to love and serve God in everything that I did. All of that happened around that same time. And so I, I, uh, there was a lot happening in me spiritually. And what was helping guide and shape that was um, a pastor named David Heinemann, who was the pastor at the Wesley Foundation at William & Mary, where I went to college, decided that I clearly needed help and that he was going to walk alongside me. And actually, we walked together every single week for many years to talk about what my calling was and to talk about what this new relationship in my life meant, to talk about and explore what it meant to give my life over to following after God. And we would walk. So I went to college right across the street from Colonial Williamsburg. And so this is a picture of Duke of Gloucester Street in Colonial Williamsburg. We call it Dog Street. And we would walk up and down Dog Street every week as he was perhaps not bringing me to Christ. I was already a confessing Christian but certainly helping me dig deep into what this new calling, what this new phase in my faith journey and my life was. I didn't think I was going to live to 20. And so living to 20, making out of my teenage years was a really big deal. And so as part of how what God was using to go, yeah, maybe you should live differently than you did when you were a teenager. You're going to be here a while. I didn't think that was true when I was 17, 18, and 19 years old. So turning 20 was like miraculous. And then all of this miraculous stuff started happening around it. And David helped me work through it. David journeyed with me and helped me find the real meaning of my faith. And in some ways, I'm here today, 15 years later, 
because of that deep care and attention that David poured into my life. I had an opportunity to talk to him on the phone about a week and a half ago, and teased, he teased me of like, as I'm saying, all these things that we talked about came true. It's like, yeah, that's right. All these things we talked about came true. What a shock. Um, yeah, I was working 20 hours a day at that time. I was living in an incredibly unhealthy way, and David challenged me and pushed me to take seriously who God was calling me to be and take seriously how to live the way God wanted me to be. David journeyed with me as a friend. Often we get really psyched out about the idea of reaching out to people because we think, and, I, and, I, and I've heard this as this series has percolated along, well, I just, I just don't know the scripture that well. That's okay. I don't really have that great a testimony. Yes, you do. You just need to think about what God has done in your life. But here's the thing. All of y'all know how to be a friend, a real one, one that is willing to journey with someone, wanting, one who is willing to help dig into the life of someone, as Philip does with this eunuch. So we are all capable of being that kind of friend, to show folks the love of God and to open them up to what God is already doing in their lives. That's something we all know how to do. If we've made it out of kindergarten, we know the basics of how to do this. It's just understanding that that's our part of our role of getting out there, is to make those friends, even when those friendships seem unlikely. Okay, so let's, let's look at Philip and let's look at Acts chapter 8. And if you're thinking, man, I don't, I don't know much about Philip. You know, I think I know something about Peter. I think he was a fisherman, and then he went on. He was the rock that Jesus built the church on. I have some memory of that. And, and I think I know something about John. They always paint him like he looks like a girl, and he was young, and he was the beloved disciple. Okay, so those are like the tier one name brand disciples, and like Phil, Philip is like a tier two or tier three off-brand disciple where we just don't know that much, right? How much do you know about Bartholomew? Anybody? You know a lot about Peter, you know a lot about John, you know Thomas has got a doubt problem, you know Andrew's related to Peter, right? But like, what do you know? You know Jane summons Zebedee and then he dies. What do you know about Bartholomew? Anyone got a lot of hot facts on Thaddeus? No, of course not, right? Philip's in that group. So here's what we know about Philip. Um, he appears in uh, the beginning of John's gospel. He's got a friend who is kind of a jerk whose name is Nathaniel, and he's like... he. Philip becomes a follower of Jesus, and then Nathaniel says, Nazareth, nothing good can come from Nazareth. And then Philip makes the introduction, introduction between Jesus and Nathaniel, and lo and behold, Nathaniel comes to Christ. Something good did come out of Nazareth. And then we know early in chapter 8 of the book of Acts that he uh, it goes on a mission to Samaria, and then we have this scene with the eunuch, and then we, we learn something about his daughters towards the end of Acts, and that's it. We don't have a lot on Philip, other than he seems to be a really good, really consistent evangelist, and often a good evangelist for people who are unlikely converts, right? Nathaniel is a jerk. The Samaritans are the enemies of the Jews. To go on a mission to Samaria was a big deal and meant that he, you know, he is a very good evangelist. And then we see here uh, with the Ethiopian eunuch. And so we have this very good evangelist going about his evangelistic way. And God yanks him um, into an interaction with this man from Ethiopia. Um, and that is uh, chapter 8, verses 30 and 31. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I? 
unless someone guides me. And he invited, invited Philip to get in and sit down beside him. So let's talk about the eunuch, this man from Ethiopia. Him and Philip were not likely friends. It is not a given that uh, presumably an uneducated man from Galilee is just going to roll up on the secretary of the treasury um, in, for Ethiopia, and they are going to become instant friends. For one, the Ethiopian eunuch is like a major mover and shaker in world governance at the time. He's like the number two guy in all of Ethiopia. And you know, and he's like super rich and super fancy, right? He's got his own chariot, which is basically like the Rolls Royce today. So there is this man rolling along in his Rolls Royce. You know he's super rich too because he owns a copy of scripture, right? There was no like pocket New Testament that you just lived in the back of your pocket. This would have been like a giant scroll written on like papyrus or animal skin. It would have been heck of expensive. And so you've got him, this man rolling along in his Rolls Royce chariot with this like giant Isaiah tablet, you know, iPad Isaiah. That's the I and iPad, the iPad, like rolling along, reading. Okay, so fun fact, by the way, uh, how many of y'all, when you're alone, you can admit this, uh, read aloud to yourself? Okay, most people don't. Turns out in the ancient world, that's the only way anyone ever read. So it's not that weird that he heard him reading because he would have been reading aloud. But here's this super rich guy, Rolls Royce chariot, iPad, like, you know, and here is Galilean farm, you know, farm boy, fisherman, whatever. It's like, hey, let me in, let me in, let me in. Right? Like, there was no reason that was going to go well. On top of that, so it turns out the Ethiopian eunuch would have been not allowed to be Jewish because he was a eunuch. He could worship God because that's open to anyone, but he couldn't actually officially become Jewish because of his status as a eunuch. Now, there is a verse in the Bible that explains this. I'm not going to read this aloud because it is, admittedly, kind of graphic for 11.43 on a Sunday morning. But if you want to read it, read it after class. It's Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, and explains what, how, why a eunuch, specifically, is not allowed into the temple, and thus would not have been, you know, we're now passing it around in class, huh? It is that. It's Deuteronomy 23, 1. Um, those of you online, look at Google it. It's great. Um, I'm not going to read it. Um, so he would not have been allowed to become Jewish. And yet, this man traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, not a short trip, to worship in the holy city, even though he would not have been allowed in the temple. He had spent crazy money on his iPad, on his copy of Isaiah, so that he could read the scriptures even when he was not in Jerusalem. And all the while, the temple... And the priests would not have allowed him to fully commit his life to God, even though he clearly wants to. So you've got two things going on that make this an unlikely relationship, right? This guy's super rich and super powerful. And how often do you run up to rich people's cars and they let you in? Right, don't. You're going to get run over or hit by the security detail. I guarantee it. And instead, Philip gets in the door. And this guy would have been serially rejected because of who he was. And yet it works. Philip is allowed in. 
And he's very happy that he got let in. And they begin to build this relationship. And that is uh, verses 34 through 36. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with the scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? You hear the vulnerability from the eunuch? Even in this moment, after he's, you know, let, thankfully, let Philip into the chariot, and he's been able, they've been able to have this godly conversation, laying out the whole scripture, the eunuch is unsure if he's going to be allowed to be baptized. I've always thought that's phrased weird. Look, here is some water. What, what's to stop us from me being baptized? Now, this Ethiopian eunuch is used to being the boss. He's like the secretary of the treasury of all of Ethiopia, right? You hear him. He commanded it to stop, right? He's used to like ordering, put this column here and this column here. And I need more papyrus and I need more. F I have no idea what, how you run Ethiopia in the first century. But like however you run Ethiopia in the first century, he's doing it, right? This man is very much large and in charge in his Rolls Royce with his iPad, right? And here he is uncertain because over and over and over again, he has not been allowed to finish connecting with God. He has not been allowed to fully commit his life to God. And here, he's right on the precipice. He's seen clearly Jesus. He's had the scriptures opened up to him. He understands that baptism is a thing. And even here, he is emotionally vulnerable and uncertain, saying, Can I be baptized? And Philip, being the good Christian, the good evangelist, essentially says, yeah, absolutely. Let's stop. Let's do this right now. And then he gets yanked away, and he gets to go off on his next mission. But the eunuch, who had lived a light, an uncertain religious existence, never quite being let in, departs rejoicing because of Philip's ministry. Holy Spirit working through him but because of Philip's ministry. And largely, what Philip did was be his true friend, journey with him, answer his questions without consequence, show him the real way, and then not stand in the way when God is truly moving. It's an unlikely friendship, the Galilean fisherman guy and the mover and shaker of the world the good Jew and the rejected Ethiopian. And yet it works because Philip, led by the Spirit, knew where he was supposed to go and then did exactly what he was supposed to do. And that was largely love this guy, answer his questions, be his real friend. And the Holy Spirit took care of the rest. And that man was baptized. And so, friends, if we are wondering, how do we, how do we do this evangelism thing in the 21st century? Given my, you know, preternatural aversion uh, to street preaching, we are still not buying bullhorns. We are still not memorizing damnation verses. We are still not standing on street corners yelling turn or burn. It sounds kind of fun sometimes. I can get a little punchy, but it's still not what we're going to do. So what's a thing we can do? 
Now, some of us are preachers and some of us are teachers, but all of us are capable of being a friend and it starts there. It starts with building a loving and open relationship with another person, often with someone who feels left behind, left out, ignored, never had this opportunity before. This starts with something we are all capable of, of loving another. Because God's love is in us, we can share that with others. And we can think about who are we noticing that has been left out? Who are we noticing that has been left behind? Who are we noticing that has no one else to sit with? No one who visits them. No one who seems to show that love. And those are the people we are perfect all perfectly capable of coming alongside. This is something that even a weird COVID pandemic can't get in the way because you have access to literally every person on the planet through the power of social media, which I normally hate. But if you use it to reach someone who's feeling unloved, I'll allow it. Now, it does mean thinking strategically of love everyone, but enter into friendships with people who don't feel like they have a lot of friends, who have been rejected, who have been left out. And then, and here's where I admit it gets a little more challenging. I'm sorry. I, this is not the series where I tell you that evangelism is easy. This is the series where I tell you evangelism is necessary. Those are two different things. You do have to, at some point, make that turn to make this relationship be about disciple. You have to, at some point, turn the corner and bring this onto the topic of faith, right? Even there in that, you know, what's, what is Philip's opener? It's not, hi, how are you? It is, I noticed you've been reading the scripture. Do you have any questions about the scripture? And so clearly Philip knew the scripture, and so Philip used the scripture on the way in. You find your own way in that feels comfortable to you, whether it is telling your own faith story, whether it is talking about how much you get out of your relationship with God, whether it is passively, aggressively inviting them, their children to vacation Bible school because you think their children are a nightmare and might need some Jesus to turn around. All of these things are viable. And I understand that that step feels awkward because you have to be vulnerable. You have to put it out there and say, hey, I love Jesus. Do you want to love Jesus? And there's an emotional cost with that. Just as an emotional cost for Philip running alongside the, the Rolls Royce saying, hi, can I get in and talk to you about Jesus? But that then allowed the eunuch to be vulnerable and say, hey, can, 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 I, can I be baptized? But we've got to turn that corner. We've got to be willing to be vulnerable and make that invitation. Broach the topic. Maybe they're going to want to hear it. Maybe they're not going to want to hear it. But we def if we don't tell them, they're definitely not going to hear it. And so there is risk. And there is vulnerability. But we are all capable of being someone's friend. And we all have within us something that God has put in there. Whether it is a knowledge of scripture, as I know some of y'all in this room have, or, or whether it is just a tremendous story of how God has worked in your life, which I know some of y'all in this room have. Or even it's just like, man, I really love going to church. I really love it when I pray. I just feel better. And I can't even describe it, but I feel better. Even that opens up that conversation and is doable. The last challenge I want to give y'all this morning is friends, be ready. Always be ready. You never know 
when that moment is going to arise. When Philip woke up that morning, he did not know that he was going to end the day riding in someone's Rolls Royce who is reading from an iPad and then baptizing, right? He could have never known. He just gets yanked by the Holy Spirit over here and then yanked by the Holy Spirit over there. And you never know where the Holy Spirit is going to yank you. So be ready. The line from God's bell, right? Just as old Elijah said to Jezebel, better start to learn your lessons well, right? Like always be ready. When I was a missionary in Kenya, I had finished the day. I'd taken my shoes off. This is my symbol. I had finished the day. I take my shoes off. I put them up. I was sitting at my kitchen table, relaxing. Psychologist for the community comes in. Hi, uh, pastor. I need you. Uh, a, a family wants to talk to you. Okay, fine. I'll put my shoes back on. Whatever. We walk in silence for 20 minutes. We get to just outside the house. Uh, the psychologist leans over to me and go, uh, well, pastor, uh, they think their house has been invaded by demons. Uh, they need you to pray the demons out. Please, why didn't you tell me this 30 minutes ago while I was putting on my shoes? It worked out fine. I use this merely as an example of always be ready. You never know when the Holy Spirit is going to yank you in the strangest direction you've ever been. And that, certainly to that point in my life, was the strangest direction I had ever been. We didn't even speak the same language, and yet somehow they asked for me, and they were convinced that something was going on in my spiritual life that could help their spiritual, spiritual health. Again, by the power of the Holy Spirit, very little to do with me, it worked out. But always be ready. The eunuch walks away rejoicing with this brand new relationship in God in part, because Philip was ready. Ready to love this person that was perhaps not a natural relationship to have. Ready to share what was good about God's salvation. And ready to receive this guy when it all clicked together for him. We can all be friends. We all have something within us that God has done. And we can all be ready to share that. We just need to get out there and put the pieces together. Now Jesus, in his tremendous wisdom in his life here on this earth, did not leave us to journey alone, did not abandon us without help in our times of need. In fact, sent the Holy Spirit into the world to give us the power and strength to reach out, to give us the power and strength to carry on, to give us the power and the strength to get out there and do the work of God. And so that is why on that night in which he gave himself up for us, he gathered his friends around a table and enacted what we now call Holy Communion because it is an opportunity for us to connect directly with God, that something truly special happens here at this table. It is the Holy Spirit shows up to empower us. Throughout human history, God has sought desperately to speak and break through for God's people. God spoke to us through our ancestors, through your Abrahams, your Isaacs, your Jacobs. God spoke to us through Moses in the prophets. And in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus Christ into the world, all as a message that God is with us and we are not alone. In his life, Jesus healed the sick and fed the hungry and ate with sinners and proclaimed the time had come when God would save God's people. And through the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, he gave birth to God's grace and the world gave birth to the church and even promised to be with us always after he ascended through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and the power and presence of God's word. Let us pray. Gracious loving God, we give you thanks for this 
holy mystery in which you've given yourself to us. Grant that we may be inspired and strengthened and empowered by this encounter with you, with your presence, with your grace. We may go forth in the world, that we may get out there, and we may share your love. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen.